that can be found on page four. But before I do that, lest I forget the, the best thing that we have here, a lovely Redeemer Presbyterian church. This was actually stolen. Uh, this is the Hope Diamond. You know, it's a blue diamond, and so I stole the Hope Diamond and crafted it into these special coffee mugs just for you. If you're a visitor, please grab a coffee mug. Uh, it's our way of saying thanks for coming. And, and if you're willing, there's a Connect card on page 7. Uh, uh, we ask that if you're willing to fill out your information just so we have a record of your coming. Uh, we're not going to call you or anything like that. We'll just probably send you a card saying thanks. Okay, our scripture can be found on page 4. This is Romans 7, 1 through 6. Romans 7, 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is freed from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The word of the Lord. I have a confession to make, and it is regarding my favorite television program. No, it's not The Love Boat. <laughs> nor is it Family Feud with Richard Dawson. Can anyone compare to Richard Dawson? On the, I, he'd be jailed, I think. Richard Dawson would be jailed in this era. Uh, no, my favorite show is Man vs. Wild with Bear Grylls. Anybody? Seven seasons of wonderful fun. If you don't know anything about Bear Grylls, he's a former British uh, special services uh, guy like a SEAL, the equivalent. And uh, every, every uh, week he's dropped, or was dropped, they don't do the show anymore, into a new environment. And uh, it's a hostile environment, and he's a survival expert. And so he teaches you how to stay alive in the most difficult situations. And uh, he has to eat the most ridiculous and horrid kind of foods, you know? But the guy is just a genius. You know, he's in Siberia, and lo and behold, he'll, you know, come across a, a, a dead uh, deer or something, and he'll skin it and freeze the, uh, uh, the skin and turn it into a toboggan so he can ride down the mountain. Of course, I would have thought that exact thing, and you as well, but Bear, he's just a genius, you know? Uh, you know, it, it's just amazing. I once saw him, he like gutted a seal and wore the seal skin, got into the seal skin so he could swim from one island to the other. It doesn't matter the situation. Bear Grylls can get out of it. Oh, that we had the same sort of skills to navigate life. You know, it's fun. It's a great program. It starts, you know, in an hour, and in an hour, he's rescued, and life is over. What I discover often is that the worst situations in life are often of our own making. And they're not physical per se. They're often, they're relational. They're emotional. They're spiritual. 
Wouldn't it be great if you could be a Bear Grylls in regard to a broken friendship, right? If you could somehow turn back time, somehow find a special skill to fix that which was broken. Think of all the regrets that we have in life. What if there was a way somehow to, I don't know, pull out uh, a, a Swiss army knife and fix your marriage, your relationship with your parents, that mistake you made in your business that you regret. You know, the worst situations are often of our own making. And the worst prisons are of our own design. And I want to talk about the worst prison of all today. And that is sin and its warden, the law. This is the worst prison because you can't escape it on your own. Doesn't matter your skills, your tactical training, or your toughness, even your holiness. You cannot find a way to get away from your record of sin. And the law watches over you. You can't escape it. The Bible communicates that we're all actually convicted felons. Each one of us, we're lawbreakers. I think when we get to Romans 7, we've turned the corner. This is one of the most challenging chapters in the entire Bible. But I will say this, you have to understand what I'm going to talk about today or you don't understand Christianity. I may not do a great job, I'm going to do my best. But whatever I do, don't stop searching because you have to understand Romans 7 or you won't understand Christianity. There's a difference between a prisoner and a free man or woman. And God sent Jesus Christ into the world that we might be free from the tyranny of the law and under the liberation of God's grace. So how do we do that? How do we escape this prison that seems inescapable? The first thing is we have to understand the prison itself. We've got to understand the bars, the dimensions what it is that is holding us fast. Then finally, we need to allow ourselves to be rescued. That's why Jesus Christ came, right? Not to give us good advice of how to get out of the building, but to actually rescue us from it. And then finally, how do we live this life as we wait for Christ to come? Not falling prey to the temptation to go back to the prison that seems to continue to call us, even when we're free. So the summary of my sermon is simply this. Because of Jesus Christ and His salvation, we no longer have to live under the tyranny of the law. But now we can live under the liberation of God's grace. Well, let's dig in with point one. We need to understand our old prison, this binding that we have. Romans 7.1 starts with this. Or, do you not know, brothers... For I am speaking as those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So Paul is talking about uh, the law, and we see Romans 7, but the original letter written by Paul didn't have chapters. Those were put in by us. He's, he's writing a flowing letter. And so we need to see what is the point that he just spoke about, because he's sort of taking another turn. He's giving an illustration, or... Don't you, or do you not know, brothers? We see the two verses before say this. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. 
In other words, you, Christian, were once a slave to sin. But now you have been set free from sin. So Paul is transitioning to the law. He's going to talk about the relationship of the law to sin. So what is the law? Is the law sin? Clearly not. Next week we'll talk about where Paul actually says in Romans 7, 7, is the law sin? By no means. Yet, it, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. In other words, the law's purpose is to show what is sin. And what does he mean when he talks about the law? He's talking about more than simply the Ten Commandments. He's saying to brothers, or do you not know brothers? He's speaking to the church at Rome, which is made up of Gentiles and Jews. He's speaking of the reality that there is a law that exists in all of man's hearts. I demonstrated this a couple of weeks ago, that there is a universal understanding of right and wrong that pretty much parallels the entire world. The same sort of morals, core morals that make up the fabric of any society. In terms of your responsibilities and so on and so on. That there is a law that exists in all of us. So he's saying, or do you not know, Redeemer, those who know the law, that the law shows sin. The USA is a perfect example. You know, a lot of people don't realize that in the United States we have a king. Do you know that? The king is the law. Lex Rex. There's not a person, Rex Lex, the king is the law, but rather Lex Rex, that the law is the king. And the law tells us how we are to behave as members of this society. So one of the laws is, you shall not murder, right? Now, if somebody commits murder, they've broken the law, they become a lawbreaker. And now there is a judgment on their head, right? Whether they've committed, whether they've been discovered or not, they're a murderer and there is a punishment for murder. There's a variety of different levels of punishment depending on the type of murder you've committed. And that sentence, if you will, stays on you. In fact, when the police or the FBI, if they catch you, they will bring you to court and you will be under arrest for the charge of murder. And if you are convicted, you will pay the punishment for that crime. Now, when did we decide to be under the laws of the United States? We actually never decided, did we? You were born into this society. The minute you were born as an American citizen on this soil, you became subject to the law, whether you like it or not. Paul becomes more intimate when he talks about law and talks about the law of marriage. Verse 2, For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Now murder is something that we think of more in a sort of an abstract sense. But marriage, most of us can get our hands around. It's more intimate, isn't it? In marriage, one belongs to the other, right? You belong to each other. You're bound together. Indeed, in some ceremonies, they'll actually take a cord and they'll bind the, the wrist of the man and the woman together as a ceremony to demonstrate that you are belonged to each other. Indeed, it is till death do us part. And so Paul is saying, 
in this example, this married woman is bound by a law, she has to be faithful to him and he to her. And the only time that they will be free, that she will be free, is if he dies. Verse 3, Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But, if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. In other words, the law of marriage has consequences as well, doesn't it? In this case, in ancient Israel, she would be called an adulteress. And indeed, there was a law in the books that that, that was a punishment by stoning. It's a consequence to breaking this relationship law. And in the same way, as the law of the United States has consequences, as the law of marriage has consequences, God's law has consequences. The one who sins is the one who will die, says Genesis. And Romans uh, communicates the sentence that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. See, every single person on this planet has a death sentence or had a death sentence on their heads. And Hebrews 9.27 says it this way, that just as man is is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. There's a weight of the penalty of the law. Now you might say, well, I didn't sign up for this law. Well, you were born into it. The very breath you breathe comes from God. This is God's world, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Now, when you're married to someone, your life revolves around them, in a sense, doesn't it? You belong to them. You have a responsibility and a desire to please them. And how they feel about you affects you, doesn't it? There's nothing more that can put you in a bad mood than when you've had a a spat with your spouse or if things aren't going well. Everything else can be going great. You ever had this and you've had an argument and you're just miserable on the inside. Why? Because how they feel about you affects you. They can make you or they can break you. And what Paul is saying here to sum all this up is that you were married to the law. Christian at one time. Indeed, if you're not a Christian, you're still married to the law, whether you realize it or not. You were married to the law. And here's the reality of being married to the law. The law is a wonderful spouse as long as you obey it. But the problem is no one obeys it. The law is the perfect example of conditional love. Because the law never really congratulates, does it? It only condemns. It relentlessly relentlessly searches your behavior to see where you're out of line. It continually catalogs every thought, every action, every behavior. It mercilessly measures every single one of the things you've ever done. And it points its finger at you. And it's bound to you and you to it. And here's the reality of being married to the law. Because you can be a religious person and try to please the law. But as long as as you're relying on your performance to please God, there's no intimacy. The law is your boss. 
He's not your spouse or she's not your spouse. And your law can fire you. And so you live in fear. And rightly we should. For we are all lawbreakers. The law not only examines and condemns, the law also incites. Notice what Paul says here. For, For while we were living in the flesh, meaning while we were living in this old way, speaking to Christians, our sinful passions, our heart, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. In other words, this law that is walking around with me, that's constantly telling me what's wrong with me and what I can't do, I'm actually an enemy of my spouse. I hate the law. I don't want to do what the law says. It makes me angry. You ever had this happen when your spouse tells you not to do something? You can't tell me what to do. The law is always telling you what to do. The reality, though, is that the law shows the truth. The law doesn't lie. The law shows the truth of my conduct and who I am. I think that's probably the reason why I hate the law. It's because the law is constantly shining a flashlight on me or was shining a a flashlight on me. And no matter what I do, I can't get away from it. I don't know if you've been tracking the story of this, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge Killer, or what do, what do they call him? The Golden State Killer, excuse me. James D'Angelo in California. And if you've lived long enough in the 70s and in the 80s, there was a series of murders all across in Los Angeles and Sacramento. Uh, this, this person, I forget the statistics, it was something like 45 rapes, 12 murders, and various burglaries. This was a bad, bad person. And, and, and indeed, this person would even not only prey on unsuspecting women, he'd break into the house, tie up the man, and go ahead and rape the woman. He was a bad, bad person. But they never could find him until last week. And the way they found him is through DNA studies. You know, these new like 23andMe and Ancestry and so on. Well, uh, uh, through that, a DNA database has been compiled. They, 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 they had a sense of who this person might be, that he might be ex-military, he might be ex-police. They couldn't narrow it down. But one innovative person who for 20 years uh, was on this case went ahead and extracted... Uh, I, I can't even really explain it, but through the DNA, looking at the DNA and examining relatives and, and of the crime victims was able to pinpoint close enough to who they thought it might be. And then they got a sample of him, like, you know, they, they, they like staked him out and, you know, he went out and he grabbed a cup or something like that, or I don't know. And they were able to pinpoint this man, James D'Angelo. Now, James D'Angelo is 70-whatever. And these murders were in the 70s and the 80s. I wonder if James D'Angelo thought he was free. I mean, why did he stop, you know? At some point, he said, it's getting too hot to handle. And so he just disappeared. He thought, they can't catch me. But the reality is, the guilt is in his blood, isn't it? He's the murderer, whether... He stopped or not. It's there. It never went away. And sooner or later, the law caught up to him. See, you can think that the law does not apply to me. 
You can be an irreligious person. Forget all that stuff. Forget that law. But you have no peace in your heart because you're married to your accuser. And every time you're quiet, you hear the voice of the law. Guilty. Guilty. You can distract yourself, but you can't drown out that voice. Or maybe you take the alternative track. I've got to turn over a new leaf. Might be the reason you're here today. I've got to start living right. I've got to erase my sins of the past. I've got to put it all on a scale so it all works out in the end, right? James D'Angelo might have lived a very, very good life for the next 20 years, 30 years. It doesn't matter. Can't erase it, can you? The sentence is upon him. Everywhere you turn, guilty. See, we're married to the law and we can't divorce it. It's on us. There's no way to free ourselves from it. But there is one way. This leads me to my second point. Freedom from the law. Because there is a caveat here, isn't it? Verse 3. But if her husband dies, she is freed from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. There is a way to be freed from the law. Now you can't die to get out of the law because death actually is the sentence of the law. You ever have where these criminals, you know, they go ahead and the law is closing in and they go ahead and kill themselves so they won't be imprisoned? Oh, there's a much, much worse punishment that's waiting for them if they don't have rescue. But God's law says that an innocent person, a truly innocent person, can die in your place. They can take the penalty for every sin you ever have committed, you are committing, and you will commit. If such a person could be found, who would be able and willing to stand in your place and to take the punishment that you deserved, then what power would the law have to condemn you? It would have no power, would it? It's paid in full. The cost has been paid. And this is the good news of the gospel. As Paul says, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son who took on flesh and lived a perfect life in perfect obedience to the law. Jesus Christ himself said to his detractors, who of you can condemn, can condemn me of sin, can find one sin against me? He lived a perfect life and after having done so, got up on a cross and died. You have died to the law through the body of Christ. This is really quite amazing. When Jesus Christ, I'm speaking to the Christian, when Jesus Christ got up on that cross, you were up there with him. It says in 1 Peter 3.18 that God made him who knew no sin to become sin. Not to become a sinner, but to become sin so that in him we could become the very righteousness of God. 
all of my sin, all of that person who was married to the law, was placed on the shoulders of Christ and died on Calvary's cross so that I could become the righteousness of God. Imagine this. Imagine that you were this horrible person here. We are actually all horrible people. I have good news for you. You're far worse than you think you are. Imagine that you were on death row. This guy will surely get death, right? And you're waiting and the sentence, it's already been called out. It's just a question of when they're going to call you uh, to the chamber. And so you're waiting. You know it's coming. The end of your life is coming near and it's time to go. And you get up and you walk down that last corridor and you get to the door to go in and it's just closed. Not working. You knock on the door. Hey, I'm here. You probably wouldn't knock on the door, would you? Right? What are you doing here? Well, I'm, I, I did this and this and this and this. Person looks through his... It's all paid for. I don't see you in this book. You're free to go. But actually, there's another room for you. It's right down the hall. Oh, here's where the shoe drops, right? You walk into that room and there's a party. And it's for you. Because of your holy, righteous life. They're celebrating you. Thinking, how is this possible? Jesus Christ. His record becomes yours. And your record became his. And the things that come by your name are righteous and holy and forgiven and cleansed and bought. See, the lawgiver is the one who has the power to enforce the law. And that lawgiver is God. And he is the one that determines who is righteous and who is not. And so a way has been opened through the body of Christ. See, the scriptures actually say here that you died to the law so that you would, you would belong to another. If you're a Christian, you actually have a new spouse. Did you know that? It's not the law. It's Jesus Christ. Christ is the bride of the church. But this law, this new law that I'm bound to is very different from my old spouse. The old spouse never congratulated me. The new spouse thinks the best of me. The old spouse constantly condemned me. The new spouse constantly forgives me. The old spouse constantly convicts while the new spouse relentlessly defends. He keeps no record of wrongs. When I hush my mind and I hear him, I do not hear the words guilty, guilty, guilty. But I hear the words holy, holy, holy. And now a heart change has occurred in me where I bear fruit no longer for death but for God. Because this binding to Jesus Christ has not only changed my record, it's changed me. 
I get to marry people. That's one of the fun things about my job. Soon I'll be marrying Bob and Renee's daughter, Aline's granddaughter, uh, Rachel and James, this awesome guy. The bride always wears white, doesn't she? Dressed for her husband. A symbol of beauty and purity. See, we wear white now. We've been born again. We are not who we were. We're a new person in Christ. I've told this story before, but I like it a lot, so I'll tell it again. Please forgive my senility. Remember the story about a woman who was married to a man, and he was a cruel man. He always found fault with her. He was a traveling businessman, and so he'd give his wife a list of the things that were to be done. And then he'd go off on his business trip. And so she'd laboriously do the different tasks that he demanded that she did. And she would sit waiting for him to come back, hoping that he would be pleased with what she did. She would be ple- he would be pleased with what she did. But when he came in the room, he would take the list and he would walk around to the various things he told her to do and he'd look at each one of them and he'd proceed to tell her what she did wrong and to demean her because of her laxness. She grew to dread and fear her husband. Well, he died. Thank goodness. She married a new man. He was quite the opposite. Old man was cruel, but he was kind. Old man was demanding. New man was gracious. Old man left lists. New man didn't have a list. Old man, new man was also had to travel a lot. But she would wait, looking out the window for him to come back. And one day she stopped as she was going about her business. And she began to weep because she realized that she was doing the exact same things that she had done before, the exact same tasks, but not out of fear, but out of love. She wanted to show her husband what she thought of him by how she kept her house and how she cooked and the work she did, whether out of the house or managing the household. The story could have been flipped either way. But the point I want to make is this. We're married to a good husband. The best husband. You don't belong to the law anymore, Christian. If you're not yet a Christian, I encourage you to listen to the good news of Jesus Christ. He is the one who sets you free. He's the one that you're looking for. But if you are a Christian, it's time to move on. You died to the law, to the condemnation of the law. Which voice are you listening to? Because every voice you hear in your head is not necessarily the truthful one. Am I listening to the spirit that tells me the truth? Or am I listening to the condemnation of the law? When you've blown it, When you've failed, look to Jesus Christ, the one who tells you it's okay. We're going to work on this together. Wherever you are, in whatever situation, 
I need not live in such a way to live in fear, but I can live as a free person. This brings me to my final point, that we can live as free men and women. Verse 6 says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. It's a great story of Stephen Dolka. Stephen Dolka got two hearts on the same day. One literally through a transplant and the other figuratively through marriage. He had a, an inflammation of the heart. But he had fallen in love and so he wanted to get married and, and this woman loved him and so he had been released from the hospital to go have a, a marriage, to get married. But a heart transplant, a heart came up that day. And so they, they called him and said, we have a heart for you. And so the ceremony was planned at two. They asked if they could move it up. The chapel agreed. Everyone went out early. They got married and then the newlyweds sped to the hospital. And he had a heart transplant. And when asked about the change of plans, the bride, Yedra, said, even though it was short, it was really romantic, really serious, really loving, really proper. She swept her arms around the hospital room and added, this is our honeymoon suite. See, we are bound to a new husband, aren't we? What I'm not communicating is autonomy. That's a farce. We belong to someone. We were made to worship someone. Either the law to be bound to the Lord, to be bound to Jesus Christ. But Jesus, by marrying us, has given us a new heart, a new way to serve in the way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So, Carlos, are you saying that the law is no longer important? No. The law is after God's heart because God is holy and just and righteous. But we no longer live, obey the law in order to get love from God. We obey the law because we are loved by God. We have a new heart and a new desire. And so we can serve in the new way of the Spirit. The old law never, ever, ever gave us any help, did it? Go do this, and I'm going to watch you. Good manager, right? But the Spirit helps us in our weakness. See, Jesus Christ comes into our life and says, let's obey together. You walk, you obey, and I will come alongside you and live in you and give you power and strength to be the person that you want to be. It's Jesus who gave us white and continues to give us white. We're going to be talking over the next uh, probably four or five weeks about what that means to live by the Spirit. But I want you to get and understand this. You are free if you are a Christian from the condemnation of the law. Stop going back to it. That's adultery. Going back to one who doesn't love you. Be free from the condemnation of the law because it can no longer condemn you. We no longer have to live under the tyranny of the law. But now we can live under the liberation of God's grace. So through the help of the Spirit and the encouragement of one another, let's do so today.
you were bound, you've been set free. Live as free men and women by the grace of God. Let's pray. We have nothing to prove to you, God, anymore. For you took all of our sin and nailed it to the cross and filled us instead with the righteousness of Christ by joining us to him through the Holy Spirit. Help us to live as free men and women, no longer tied to the condemning voice because that is a lie. It doesn't come from you. Your cross was enough to pay every single sin. The ones I had committed, the ones I am committing, and the ones I will commit. Thank you for the freedom of grace. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.